Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. Father God, thank you that you are a good father that loves his children as his family. God, I pray today that you would give us a fresh revelation of your love for us and of our place in your house. That it's your house because you're the head of the household, but it's our house because we are your children. And God, I pray that we would see it that way through fresh eyes. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, open our minds to see, hear, receive and understand all you have for us today in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. You guys can take your seats and uh, we are in our truth bombs series, which is, uh, I don't know that there has ever been a time in my lifetime where there has been a greater need for real truth in a very lost and confused world. But, uh, how many know that God is faithful to complete every good work that he starts? And just because it's dark doesn't mean that he's done, that he actually does his greatest work. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. His light shines brightest in the darkest times. So uh, as the world has pushed biblical truth out of schools, out of government, out of families, I have seen something that's kind of like a new gospel emerge, but it's not a good gospel, though it's packaged that way. Gospel means good news. And the good news that the world has to offer, really the enemy has to offer to the world is not good news at all. It can seem good, but it doesn't actually produce good results. The Bible says that you can tell a tree by its fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. A bad tree cannot produce good fruit. So the enemy promises a lot. He just doesn't deliver. And the things that seem good can actually be evil. But Jesus taught that there's no one that's good but God. And even when I try to do good as a human, I've found in my own life that I've failed a lot. And we see this a lot in recovery with, uh, with codependency that I had a friend tell me because I was being very codependent trying to save people. I'd lost, uh, you know, I'd been a drug addict and alcoholic as a teenager and almost lost my own life several times. God delivered me from that when I was 19, but I was in a recovery community where I lost a lot of friends to addiction. And it's traumatic to lose people that you love one after the other, after the other. And so I, instead of being at the time, very far from God, instead of really turning to true God, true power and to truth, which I was also away from, I just turned to myself and tried to do good. But how many of you know that if God is intentionally withholding from somebody so that he can strip them of all of the things that they've been relying on him so there's only him left, 
so that they'll turn to him and be brought back into health, into community, into right function, and then you keep providing for all of those people's needs, you are working against God, and it is not good. It's actually evil, but it can seem like humanly good. And we're in this time in history where confronting dysfunction has become something that's hateful. It is the most absurd thing, but when you have no standard for truth left, all that you have is to bring comfort to the people that are dying anyway. In a hospital, they would call it palliative care. And a lot of the current gospel is like palliative care to a dying world. I preached a message on it, and it is so sad because how many of you know that the whole history of Christianity, the whole story, really what is the good news is I was once there. I was super dysfunctional. I was very broken, and I was getting no good results. But God changed me, and now I'm over here. And because I'm over here and I see you over there, I can tell you how to get from there to here because I got from there to here with God. I'm not going to tell you you have to, but I'm going to invite you into this. If you want to come along, there's a way to actually change for the better. If you see God as a controlling legalist that's just trying to get you to follow rules, that is trying to get you to bring money to his house so that he can hide all the money to himself and not give any back to you, you, you the way you see him is just wrong. And if you follow his laws out of fear, you'll never enter, enter into that Sabbath of the heart where you can actually rest. God promises all who are weary and heavy laden, when you come to me, I will give you rest because my yoke is easy. My burden is light. His laws are actually to benefit us. He gets no benefit out of us following his laws. He put them in place so we could live good lives. He's not trying to oppress us. He's trying to free us. And when you see the Bible, you see the humanity of the Bible. I didn't see this for a long time. I would read stories in the Bible when I was a little kid, like Jonah and the whale, Adam and Eve, David, the little shepherd boy who got some rocks, killed a giant and became a king. And all of these people just felt so far away from me. It's like, nice story, bro. But there wasn't this connection that I had. It wasn't until I actually got the relationship with God right. And that required me actually getting to the end of myself and finding that he was there. When I was finally done with all of my ideas, with all of my plans, with all of my hopes, with all of my dreams for a life apart from him where I was the hero of the story, finally he was like, you done? Okay, good. I've loved you the whole time, but God, I'm so happy that you're done because now we can actually start on the good part. And when I got to that part, I was 29 years old and I had literally tried everything. I'd had a very broken life as a kid. I used to go to church by myself, four, five, six years old. Don't ask me why my mom would let me go to church as a young child wandering eight blocks away from the house, but... I don't know, write it off as it was a different time. <laughs> but I would go to church and there was something that I felt in those moments that just felt good. Yeah. 
My parents were in the middle of a divorce. I'd experienced abuse. There was all sorts of stuff that was going on in my life that wasn't good. But for that two hours on a Sunday, I sat in that place and there was something that was inherently good that I felt connected to. But when I lost my faith in the other hero of Christmas when I was like five and a half or something, all of the other supernatural characters that adults had told me about, I threw the baby out with the bathwater. And I was like, okay, the tooth fairy, the Easter bunny, God, done. And I lived life by myself for a long time. And when I finally came back to faith at 29, I had gotten to the end of all of the things that I had had hope in. And it wasn't like I had a bad life. I had a good life. I was an executive. I was making lots of money. I had just been approved for a loan to buy a house. I was in a relationship with a beautiful woman that wanted to ride off happily into the sunset and make babies and have that be our life. But it was, it was like every little rung on that ladder that I was trying to climb that I got to the next rung and just thought, ah, oh, this is going to be it. Yeah. Yeah. Only to find like, shoot, I hope there's more rungs. <laughs> And I got to the place where I didn't think there were any, I couldn't climb any higher. And I just got faced with the reality that, that either there is something deeply, irrevocably, unchangeably wrong with me and there is no hope, or there's a God that can do something that I can't do. And getting to the end of myself, and this is like the story that when, I, when God started to unpack the Bible for me and I started to read it with his power in me, seeing it through fresh eyes, I started to see the stories of the people in the Bible and I started to relate to them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the story for like every single Christian and every single hero in the Bible is that they tried it their way. They got to the end of themselves. They finally realized it. God showed up, and then he changed them and grew them and gave them purpose and life, and they started to thrive. And then they turned around and started to do it the same for others. And the ones that got freed became the ones that freed the others. And that's how Christianity is supposed to work. And in church, this is a church that's fresh, real, and powerful, and you hear it all the time. And it's the same story. It's like, A, God B, come along for the ride. So this morning, I want to talk about three men in the Bible. And the first one is Moses. And Moses is a great character. I kind of looked at him as like the guy that split the seas, received the tablets, old Charlton Heston up on a mountain guy. But I started reading the story of Moses. And I'll save you from reading the three books or more of the Bible that his story is in, because if we read all of that, we'd be here until Wednesday, and just kind of shorten it to tell you what I saw in his life. And the Bible says that Moses had a stutter, that he was slow of speech and slow of tongue. He grew up without a father, but he grew up adopted by the most powerful man in the world, the Pharaoh of Egypt. And then he grew in that place in Pharaoh's palace to be the general of the Egyptian armies. Moses was a very powerful man, but he also had a very broken heart growing up without a dad and having a spirit of disqualification, an orphan spirit that was on him. And we see that playing out in his interaction with a Hebrew taskmaster. Now, 
the Jewish people had been enslaved by the Egyptians for 400 years. And one day while Moses is wandering around the kingdom that he was basically in charge of, at least in large part, he sees this taskmaster beating one of his Hebrew brothers. And Moses had a stutter. Does anybody know? Well, I mean, I'm sure many of you have had experience with people that have had stutters. Maybe you've overcome a stutter uh, or seen people with stutters. And I'll tell you one thing that I know about stuttering is that when people are stressed, their stutter gets worse. So you've got Moses and he's in this stressful situation, but he could have if he really understood his identity, said, hey, this guy with the whip, off to jail. Or he could have upped it and said, this guy with the whip, take him in chains and off with his head. He was the head of the armies. He's the, the adopted son of the Pharaoh. He's a very powerful man. But instead, he took matters into his own hands. And this is extra biblical, so don't pretend like this is in the Bible. But if you read the story and you read around the story, this could, it could have happened this way, that Moses comes up to him and he tries to find the word stop, but instead he's just... Ah, 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 and in this awkwardness, in this shame, in the disqualification that he already carried, instead of taking a little time out, approaching the situation calmly, he goes for his sword and strikes the guy and he dies. And then Moses disqualifies himself even more and says, now I'm not even worthy to be a part of this kingdom. And he goes off into the wilderness and becomes a shepherd for 40 years. The adopted son of the most powerful man in the world, the general of Egypt's army is hiding in the wilderness, tending to sheep. It was dysfunctional, but the dysfunction wasn't in the situation. The dysfunction was in his heart. And then the God of the universe shows up in the middle of a bush that is on fire, but it's not burning. You know, and we live in San Diego County. If there's a bush burning and it's out in the like back country, you're like, okay, how many acres are it's gonna take? No acres, just a bush. And there's a voice of God coming out of the bush saying, Moses, you're finally at the end of yourself. I've had a plan for your life since you were a boy. It's time to step into it. You're going to be my mouthpiece. You're going to be my leader. You're going to lead my people out of captivity. You've got God speaking to you in the most supernatural way. There's a bush that's on fire, but it's not being burned. There's a voice coming out of it that is coming from heaven. And he's like, no, I, I'm not your guy. I'm not your guy. I would like to believe that if God spoke to me audibly in a supernatural, spectacular way, that I would say yes. And I think in my best moments that I really would, but if I look back at the history of my life, there have been plenty of times where God has had flashing red lights, and I've just gone ahead and painted those red flags 
green, where there's been a green light of go, and instead I've turned the other direction because I don't feel qualified to be that one that you've got the wrong guy. You don't understand my past. There's all of these reasons that I can't do the thing that you're asking me to do. And Moses is in that situation, and God says, no, you are going to be my guy. What's that in your hand? And he's like, oh, this is my shepherd's staff. God said, just throw it on the ground. Let me show you what I'm going to do. And he throws it on the ground, and boom, the staff becomes a serpent. Then he says, Moses, pick it up. The staff becomes a staff again. He's like, don't worry. This isn't you going to try to do this on your own. I'm going to be with you. (laughs) Moses doubles down. And he really gets to the heart of the matter. And in Exodus 4, 10 through 12, he raised another objection to God. He says, Master, not Father, Master, please, look, I don't talk well. I stutter, I stammer, I've never been good with words, neither before or after you spoke to me. And who do you think, and God says to him, he's like, wait, 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 wait. I get it, but who do you think made your mouth? Don't worry about all of them. Just worry about me. I'll be with you. I'll be in your mouth. My words are going to come out of your mouth. And Moses still says no. So God allows for him this compromise and says, isn't your brother Aaron a good speaker? Oh, look. (laughs) Gosh, he's coming for you right now. Imagine that. And God allows Aaron to be Moses' mouthpiece. And it's this convoluted, twisted thing where he says, I'll put my words in your mouth, and then you're going to put my words in your brother's mouth, and then he will speak to the people. And so it starts. And God is with them. He splits the Red Sea. He's a pillar of fire by night, a cloud during the day. He gives manna from heaven, but when the people complain. Moses is so broken that he goes back into this tent of meeting with his brother Aaron. He takes his relationship with God into a private place so he's not embarrassed in front of the people. The people complain. Moses and Aaron fall on their face. The people never repent because they don't have leaders that are actually showing them how to do it. Moses either gets angry or he goes and hides in a tent with his brother. And after 40 years and a lot of drama, God says, listen, I'm done. I've got all the time in the world, but you don't. I'm just going to take your brother out of the picture. So he calls him home. He doesn't send him to hell. He brings him out of top, on the top of a mountain, brings him up to heaven, just so he's out of the picture. The people mourn, and then a plague of snakes come, and... This time, Moses doesn't have his brother to hide behind. And God says, make a serpent out of bronze, put it on top of your staff, raise it up. And when the people see you with your arms in the air, with the staff, with the snake on it, when they see the snake, they will be saved. And the people saw the snake. And for the first time, for the entire time that they were in the wilderness, the people repented. Instead of Moses and Aaron Aaron being all weird and codependent and trying to do for the people what they needed to teach the people to do for themselves, Moses is actually up there worshiping, and the people got their breakthrough. 
And the beauty about it is there are so many singers, like some of the most famous singers in the world, Chris Martin from Coldplay, Elvis, uh, even Kendrick Lamar randomly, and Carly Simon, and uh, that had severe stutters, but they overcame their stutters when they learned to sing because singing comes from a different part of the brain than speech does. Even Marilyn Monroe, who had that breathy voice, she got that breathy voice from her vocal coach. They used to have to shoot her scenes sometimes 15, 20, 30 times because she had such a bad stutter. But her vocal coach taught her to sing, and that same breathiness that she brought into her singing voice became her speaking voice, and it gave her the breakthrough where she was able to speak normally. At the end of Moses' life, when the people repented, after they repented, it was like victory after victory after victory after victory, where it had been loss after loss after loss after loss, complaint after complaint after complaint after complaint. When they learned to stop complaining and to start worshiping, they got their breakthrough. God didn't need somebody that was a great speaker because in the desert, they didn't need a speech. They needed to learn how to worship. The one thing that God had against them was that they were constantly complaining. And if you have a heart that complains, the best antidote to a complaining heart is worship. He didn't need to be a warrior. He needed to be a worshiper in the desert because that's what the people needed. And the last thing that's recorded in Moses' life that he did was he wrote a song called the Song of Moses. And in Revelation, it says that the Song of the Lamb and the Song of Moses are still being sung in heaven. It was the last thing that he did, that he gave his people a song so they could worship God, that they could sing the testimonies of all the things that God had done. So when they faced trials and low spots and battles that there would be worship that went before them into the promised land so that they would stay victorious and take the land that God had promised them. Who's on the other side of your breakthrough? If you've been stuck in a place where God has been telling you, stop hiding your faith, stop trying to do the things that I need to teach these people for, to do for themselves, get out of my way so I can bring them home, be public with your faith so they see the testimony of my good works in your life. Who is on the other side of your breakthrough? You know, one of my least favorite characters in the gospels for a long time was Peter. And I don't know how many of you feel this way about Peter, but like Peter to me, it's like every single time he comes on the scene, it's just like, oh, Peter, why? He gets things so wrong. And it's like they're so wrong. And it's like you're, you're watching a horror movie where like the person that's just about to be killed is going exactly in the wrong place. And you're just like, don't, for God's sake, don't do it. I felt that way about Peter for so long. You know, like he's been in Jesus's ministry for three years. And at the Last Supper, Jesus is like, hey, guys, I need to wash your feet. And Peter's like, oh, no, 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 there's no way I'm going to let you wash your feet. And Jesus is like, no, no, if you don't let me wash your feet, you can have none of me. And then Peter's like, well, then wash my head and my body also. And Jesus says, no, dude, 
You've already been baptized. You've already been washed clean. You've been, you've been walking around in the world. You've got a little dust on your feet. Let me wash it off. I'm gonna give you an example because you're gonna need to come back to me and you're also going to need to wash the feet of other people that have gotten a little dusty from walking around in the world. This isn't a one and done faith. This isn't you just come to me once and then poof, you're up in heaven. You come to me and that's the starting line. It's not the finish line. This is a start to the life of victory of promise, of hope in the world. You're meant to be in the world, not of the world. Just let me wash the world off your feet so that you can do the same. And Peter doesn't get it. On the last day of Jesus's life, he comes to Peter and says, bro, look, before the sun rises tomorrow, you're going to deny me three times. I'm not telling you this to condemn you. I'm just informing you it's going to happen. And Peter's like, no, 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 far be it from me, Lord. <sighs> even if all the other disciples deny you, even if they all walk away, I, I will never. And Jesus is like, bro, you're so drama all the time. I'm just telling you it's going to happen. And then... Before the rooster crows, Peter denies Jesus three times, and right after he's done denying him for the third time, the rooster crows, and Peter's all convicted, and it's a thing. And then Jesus gets crucified in the tomb for three days. The disciples are all hiding, wondering who's next. Jesus is resurrected. The disciples are all gathered in the upper room with the door closed, worried that the Romans are going to come for their persecution, and Jesus walks through the walls and shows up and says, listen, I know this is weird. I told you before that it's better that I should go so that my Father's promise could come, that you've been walking with me for three years, but now my spirit is going to come and live inside you. There were things that you thought you should be able to do on your own. You've been following my rules, but now I'm going to give you a new revelation, and I'm also going to give you power to do the humanly impossible. With God, all things are possible. When it's just you, 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 you couldn't do this on your own, but I need you to wait. Just stay here in this room, wait in Jerusalem until you're filled with power. Don't leave this place. Peter, who's just denied Jesus three times, like many people who have been broken and got broken ideas about things, gather people to himself, and he takes five of the disciples with him, and they go off back to the fishing village that they were from and go fishing. And to put it in context, the Sea of Galilee is not like, uh, like the beach community of Jerusalem. It's like from here to like northern LA or like Santa Barbara. And they didn't have cars, they had feet. So it wasn't like they were just going down to like the stream to catch a little dinner. They were like in full rebellion from what Jesus had asked them to do. And they're out, and just like they were in the beginning, leading purposeless lives. They're out on the Sea of Galilee trying to fish, but no fish are coming into their net. They're out there all night, and they catch nothing. And they're coming back into shore, discouraged. And on the shore, the disciple John sees a man, and he recognizes that it's Jesus. And he turns to Peter and says, it's the Lord. 
And then Peter does this really weird thing where he gets his jacket, his fisherman's coat, the thing that would identify him as Simon the fisherman, and he puts it on before he jumps in the water. I don't know about how many of you swim. I usually try to wear just a pair of swim trunks, not even like cotton trunks that'll take on water, but just a pair of things that are not going to be filled with water when I jump in the water. I'm not putting on like a heavy jacket that's going to get weighed down. But Peter was saying to Jesus, listen, I'm not qualified to be your disciple. I know all the things you've said, all the things you've taught, but I'm just not your guy. I told you I would never deny you, and I denied you three times, just like you said. You knew I was disqualified. You told me beforehand, I'm not even worthy to be called Peter. And so he gets to the shore, and Jesus meets him on the shore in John 21. And Jesus agrees with his pronoun. He says, Simon, son of Jonah, you want me to call you by this name? I'll call you by this name. I've been calling you Peter for a while now. The revelation that you had is the rock that I'm going to build my, my church on, but you're going, you're Simonizing yourself. I'll, I will agree with that. I'm not going to dead name you and call you Peter. I'm going to let you, let you be Simon. And then he does this thing, and this is a place in the Bible where the English doesn't do it justice that in Greek, there are four words for love. And in this conversation, Jesus says to Peter, do you agape love me? And agape love is the perfect love of God. Jesus says to Peter, do you love me perfectly? And Peter says, I I love you, but I only phileo love you. I only love you like a brother because that's all I'm capable of. Why, why are you trying to rub this in my face? And Jesus said, I never, told, I never asked you to, to love me like God. I just asked you to love me like a, a brother. That's totally fine. I don't need you to be me. I just need you to be you. I created you with a plan and a purpose for the time that you're in. I intentionally brought you into this world, into the family that you're in, into the community you're in for this time with a purpose because you're meant to be here. And I created you with everything that you needed to be here except for me. And I just, I'm, I'm inviting you into relationship, but I don't need you to be me. I just need you to be you. You only phileo love me. That's fine. Go feed my lambs, my little new believers, my baby believers. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be on the pulpit. You don't have to be pastoring a church in order to be used by God. This little tiny revelation that, oh my gosh, I can't love you like you love me, but I'm going to do what I can do. That's fine. Go feed my lambs. Then he asks Peter again, do you agape love me? And Peter's like, dude, I told you the first time I only phileo love you. And Jesus says, that's fine. Go feed my, go shepherd my flock. You can lead people. You don't have to be perfect to go lead a team. You just have to be teachable. Come lead. I'm going to show you how I'm going to do it with you, but just come lead. And then finally, Jesus says, do you phileo love me? And Peter says, you know, I do. 
And he said, great. Now you can go feed my sheep, my mature believers. And there's a maturing that Jesus takes Peter through on the shore of this lake. And when Peter gets clear on his identity, and Jesus worked on identity with Peter more than he did any other disciple because Peter needed it more than the others did. Peter has this revelation, then boom, first book of, uh, first chapter of Acts, he's back in Jerusalem, filled with the Holy Spirit. He steps into his calling, he preaches, and 3,000 men get saved in one sermon. He's the most effective evangelist in the entire New Testament because he finally got a revelation of who God said he was. And he didn't need to be perfect, he just needed to be Peter. I was thinking about sheep when I was preparing for this message, and I don't know how many of you like follow random stories on the internet, but there was Chris the sheep in like 2015. I don't know if any of you remember him, but this is Chris the sheep. And Chris the sheep, he wandered away from his flock. He's a merino sheep. He's in Australia, and merino sheep get sheared every year, and every year the average shearing of a merino sheep is 10 to 11 pounds. But Chris had been gone for almost six years, and he built up 90 pounds of weight just wandering around in the world. When he was found wandering around blind, I don't know if you can see that, but like there's so much growth that he couldn't even see out of his eyes and all of the little critters that were living in his coat and the matted fur and all of it was such a heavy weight that when he walked, he almost fell over because his knees were buckling at the weight of all that he had picked up while he was walking around in the world. And I saw this guy and I'm like, what an incredible picture you know, like I said at the beginning of the message that I never called my parents' house my parents' house until I left it. But instead of inviting my friends over to my house when I was a little kid, if I invited them over to my parents' house for Thanksgiving, I would always distinguish that it was my parents' house. It no longer felt like it was mine. And I know sometimes when we wander away from the flock. Sometimes it's because of offense. Sometimes it's just because the grass looks a little bit greener over in that, that field. And sometimes it's not even intentional. It's just like, well, I'll be back soon. I've just got this other thing to do. We can become like Chris. I had a broken heart when I was six years old and I wandered away from church, and I really thought, like, if this isn't going to be my one perfect answer, I had offense, I had doubt, I had a lot of hurt that came in from uh, I living, growing up in an imperfect family. I was like, if this isn't going to be my thing, I'm going to need to figure it out on my own. But what I didn't account for is that there was a weight that started to come on me. And at first it was gradual. And at first, some of the things that later became very heavy actually started off seeming like that they were going to be fun. But then I'd get to the end of the fun and there was guilt and there was shame. And I didn't have a way to wash it off because I was living a life that the entire effectiveness of my life rested squarely on my own shoulders. And it's sad 
because there are so many that have been walking around in the world like Chris, carrying this incredible weight, and all the world can offer them is to accommodate this wild dysfunction. Can you imagine having sheep that all look like this, what their pens would have to look like and what their quality of life would be like? But that's just how they are. If God had meant for them to be short-haired, he would have stopped their hair from growing, but their hair just keeps on growing. That must just be the way it's supposed to be. We just need to make bigger pens. Oh, and then eventually their legs will give out, so we just need to, to make wheelchairs for these sheep to push the sheep around in because that's clearly the compassionate thing to do. Don't you dare come near them with scissors or a shaver. What kind of person are you? They're blind and they're disabled. They don't need a shearing. They need a platform. Why don't you raise them up? Give Chris a mic. Chris, tell us how that felt. Oh, you've been bred that way for generations and Gosh, the shepherds really need to pay for what they've done to this species of sheep. It's so bizarre that when there's actually a path that leads to life, that leads to hope, and I'm not saying this from a place of judgment. I'm saying this from a place of being like a Chris and trying to find accommodation for my own dysfunction, trying to find my own place in the world to only come up empty-handed to be climbing this ladder of success only to find that my ladder was leaning up the wrong building and finally getting to the top rung and being like, well, there's a view up here, but I'm friggin' stuck and I'm scared of heights and I need to get down. If somebody doesn't help me, I'm going to die. And Jesus came into my life at that point and I heard the gospel and the gospel was so different than what I thought it was going to be. And I'll tell you that there were three things that I really needed. I just want to show you this picture of Chris when he gets sheared, by the way. That, so they clear all of the wool off of Chris, and you're like, oh, my gosh, you cute little lammy. <laughs> and he, there's, like, videos of him, like, hopping and doing all of the little things that sheep do in a field because he's finally been restored to like right function. All of the weight of the world has been taken off of him and he's actually been set free. And the ones that rescued him said that he just loved to be rubbed right behind his ears. You know, he could never have reached them when he had all that stuff around. But there's a beauty in that story because I, I, I relate a lot to Chris. I don't know about all of of you guys, but there was a weight that I was, I was carrying. And when I finally realized the weight was too heavy to keep carrying and I couldn't do anything about it on my own, thank God for the gospel. And thank God for great people that just came around me and hugged me and loved me and corrected me in love. 
and invited me to be a part of the family. They didn't care about my past. They didn't say it was an exclusion. In fact, they said that I don't know when it's going to happen, but someday what the enemy intended for evil, the thing that you have been so ashamed of, God is going to use for good. And I've seen it again and again and again that as I gave my life to God, I was never in a healthy relationship, not a single one. I did them all wrong. I got saved. I was single for a time. I got healed. And then I met Pastor Jenny and we did everything right. We didn't do anything wrong, but we were in a community that was supporting us. We dated for five months, got married five months after we got engaged, got pregnant with my daughter within a month of being married. And it was like, boom, 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 boom. God took a long time to do things very, very quickly. I thought I was disqualified from ever doing something important with my life because of all of the things that I thought disqualified me. But God's like, let me just heal this. And I, you know, I'm like, I honestly never thought I'd own a home. We own a beautiful home. I didn't think that I'd ever be able to own a business that was successful and thriving, but I have a successful, thriving business. I always felt separated from people. Even when I had people around me that said that they loved me, it felt like I couldn't really connect. But oh my gosh, I've got the best community in the world, and it's all because of Jesus. So real quickly, there were three things that I needed. The first thing is I needed to be honest with myself, and I needed to be honest with the people around me. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. God's cornered the market on salvation. He gives us the ministry of healing. I needed to get to the point where I realized I couldn't do it on my own and just be honest. And at that point, I realized I need Jesus. And pretty soon after I realized I needed Jesus, I realized I also needed people. God says, wherever two or more are gathered, there I am in their midst. He doesn't say, when you go hide out by yourself, there I am in the wilderness. Jesus, the good shepherd, gave the example that the good shepherd leaves the 99 to go after the one, not to go hang out with it, Chris the sheep, in dysfunction, but to bring it back, take it back into community, shave off all that garbage that's gotten on it from living out in the world and restore the 100, restore the flock. Can I get everybody to bow their head and close their eyes? If you know today that you're like Chris the sheep, that whether it was rebellion or just confusion or just you got a little lost, but you wandered away from your father's house, you wandered away from the flock and the world has gotten on you and the weight seems unbearable, I want to pray for you today. If you're ones that have been in community, but you feel still feel distant from God and you still feel distant from people, you bring the tithe, but you do it in fear, not in faith and relationship, knowing that you are a beloved child and this is also your house, not just some place where you come and visit a distant God on a Sunday. I wanna pray for you too. 
So I'm going to count to three, and if you fall into either of those categories or you just know, I don't know what it is, but I know I need Jesus today, I want you to raise up your hands so I can include you in a prayer. Is there anybody like that in here? One, two, three. God bless you, 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 God bless you. God bless you, 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 God bless you down the front. God bless you, 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 God bless you. While every head is still bowed and every eye is still closed, I want everybody in here to join me in a prayer. Father God, I thank you that you so loved me, that you sent your only son on a rescue mission for me. God, I thank you that you didn't stop there, that as I say yes to you, you send your spirit to live inside me, to empower me, to walk with me, to give me purpose, and to give me strength. God, I pray as I sit in this church, you would surround me with your people in community that would disciple me and teach me how to live this Christian life. And God, I pray, as I get healed, I become the one that you send out to heal others. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen. For more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.